You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free.
What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Pure Pleasure. I am your host, Dewey. This is the best of episode. This is the first one of these I've ever done. Uh, I'm not sure how far back I'm going to go on this one, but I think uh, it'll probably be the last 100 episodes we've done. We are approaching and have just probably released episode 300, which is a massive milestone in the world of podcasting. Um, it's something that I've been looking forward to for a long time. You guys know I always do something special around the 100 mark, 100, 200, 300, and so on. And I'm really really just full of gratitude right now with with where the show is at how far it has come uh the the guests we've had on are insane the fact that i get to speak with people that have been on my wall since i was a teenager still boggles my mind um you know being able to dip my toe into this creative life uh live most of my life in the mechanical world um it's just really a it's a cool balance to be able to jump between both. Um, it's something that I truly cherish and and I I need this show. This show is my therapy. This show is my uh, my creative outlet. Um, it's something that was just started as an idea in my head years and years ago, six almost six years ago now, and it's come to fruition. It's become an actual tangible, meaningful thing and. I don't even have words to describe that feeling to be able to create something from an idea, figure out how to do it, the the logistics of it, the gear, the 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 scheduling, the execution, and then also finding the drive to continue doing uh, what you love to do. Um, sometimes it can get pretty stressful. Sometimes it can get downright uh, awful at times. you know when you're trying to juggle so many things in your life, and trying to find what's most important. You have an audience of people waiting to listen to what you have to say. But at the same time, you also have your own life to live. You have your own uh, dreams and aspirations to to look for and look towards. And you have kids. You have a family. You have bills. You have a job. You have all these things that can get in the way of uh, – and I wouldn't say get in the way. That's the wrong way to put this. Uh, but those things are more important inevitably. Uh, you know, your family, your kids, you know, they are the real important thing. And I came to a weird conclusion over the last, I don't know, year and a half of this show. And I always, you guys would hear me talk about how this show is a, is a living journal for my kids to listen to me when I'm gone. Uh, cause right now they don't, they could care less about dad's show and that's fine. I can't expect them to, and and nor can I expect them to when they're older. But all this time saying that, and I came to the realization that what happens when they get older and they start listening to this show, and they realize, man, here is thousands of hours of time I could have been talking to my dad versus listening to him later talk to other people. Uh, and that messed me up a little bit. That was uh, when I, when I kind of flipped the tables like that, it it really put things in perspective that you can't get more time and what you do with your time is important. And I still feel this show is very important. Um, you know, I just, I want to make sure I'm balancing everything out. You know, if I'm spending three hours on a podcast, I want to make sure I'm spending three hours with my children. Um, you know, while I'm here, while I can teach them, while I can tell them stories 
themselves, answer questions they have versus having to just listen to what dad does, you know, in the studio. Anyways, I don't know why I'm going on this tangent, but, uh, you know, I'm full. I, and this, I do this exactly the same as I do the rest. The microphone turns on and I just start talking. And this is something I don't do a lot. I don't do long intros. I don't do long outros. I try to save my input for the conversation. And also with that stepping back and letting the conversation happen. If I say two words, that's fine. If I say a thousand words, that's fine. It's just what the conversation needs. And in this kind of a monologue, I'm just speaking with you guys directly. And, uh, you know, whatever you're doing, if you're, you know, I say screen printing shirts, if you're mowing the grass, if you're, you're, you know, out running, if you're, you're doing the dishes, if you're at your job, you hate, if you're working a night shift at the job, you hate, you know, I appreciate all the time spent listening to this. And there are people that have written me and said that they have listened to every single episode. And I still cannot fathom how that is possible. Uh, with the amount of time that I've put in that I still can't fathom, uh, someone sitting there and, and I guarantee they're not sitting there listening to it, but spending that much, that much time, that much, um, it's just, it's really cool to me to get stuff like that, uh, in the mail and the, in the messages. Um, I just, I'm just full of gratitude guys. I really am. This is a, this is a huge milestone. A lot of podcasts don't even make it to episode 100, but we have been consistently rolling strong for almost six years. And I just, I don't have, I don't have the words. I love each and every one of you guys very much. I, th I thought this would be a cool thing. My boss at work was telling me, Hey, you should do a best of episode for your episode 300. And I was like, well, I've already got a pretty rad guest lined up for episode 300. So what if we just did it around that? Um, I said, I'm going to use your idea, man. I'm going to, I'm going to dig through these episodes and I'm going to find some of my favorite stories um, and situations. And um, I, I just, I think it'll be a cool experiment to see what happens. And, you know, uh, I, I've got a lot of things to say, but I'm going to save them for the next hundred episodes uh, because I know you guys didn't come here to listen to me ramble on. Uh, but at the beginning, you heard uh, Trans Am Sunday, the theme song from the show. I decided to play the entire song because everyone, every single day I get emails, messages, uh anything any any way you can get a hold of me someone reaches out asking what that song is uh and it's by a band called hobosexual uh ben harwood was on the show for an episode they're out of tacoma washington i don't know if they're still together but that song just spoke to me and after the first 100 episodes i believe is when we put it in and just an amazing, amazing track. So I wanted to play the whole thing so you guys could have it in one spot if you couldn't find it and listen to it and kind of just bring the whole show together. Um, I I really, I do a lot of clips of music in the show, but I like to make them longer because I like to give that vibe. Um, and my buddy Rich Balling was messaging me about that, how he likes playing a, a good portion of the song to really get the vibe going for the guest. And I've had a lot of people say they hate that and I don't care because I feel it's important to really bring you in to what the person does because a lot of times we don't talk about what the person does. We just don't. Um, and that's fine because the reason you're listening, if you're a first time listener to that episode is because of what that person does. You already know. You don't say, hey, that name looks cool. I'm going to look at this. It's no, I like what that person does. Let's see what they have to say. And my job is to then present them in a light 
uh, as a real person, as a person you'd see on the bus, on the street, on the, in line at the store, and you say you ran into them on a plane, you didn't know what they do. That's how you find out. And that's why I don't edit these conversations. That's why I do it the way that I do it, because I feel that's the truest form uh, of expression is just conversing with people, bouncing ideas off each other, making mistakes, saying the wrong words, <laughs> saying, I, and this, I don't know if this clip will make it in, but there's a time I mixed up a word I was thinking of, and I asked straight-faced about a pretty terrible practice uh, that, and the guest was Porter McKnight from Atreyu, and he just said, uh, excuse me? And as he said that, I realized I had mixed my words up, and and but I left it in there because it was funny for one, but also it, it was real. It happened. And, you know, I just, I don't know how I feel about being able to take stuff back like that right away. You know, having that edit button, having that mute button, having that, you know, I, I life happens. Life happens to all of us and it happens in real time and it happens in the way it was supposed to happen. Uh, if you just blank those out, you have a really sterile, existence i feel a very sterile existence and it's something i wouldn't want and so with my uh platform i don't want to put it out there like that so um hopefully you guys you know are you're coming back because you like what i do hopefully you're coming back because you like the guests that are coming on and uh you know i get a lot of letters saying that you know the show gets people through their their daily lives or through their their work shift or through some really awful life events and I'm just, I'm very humbled to be there um, for people to, to, to glean things from or to feel they have some support or just a voice or a familiar voice that they can listen to. Um, we've been through an incredible amount of changes behind the scenes. We've been through an incredible amount of changes uh, in myself and what I do. Uh, you know, one thing when this show first started I uh, was having dinner with my cousin who was helping me get it off the ground as far as audio goes. And he said, so what is this thing? Are you just going to talk to musicians all the time? Like, what what is it going to be? And I said, I really don't know. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay to not know. And I said, I'm just going to start putting out episodes. And if so-and-so wants to come on, if so-and-so wants to come on, let's do it. And that's exactly what we've done. And, you know, I talk about it a lot, but I think it was the Jeff Rickley episode, the first Jeff Rickley episode episode 50 something where he looked at me and, and, and my notebook and was like, is that your notes? I said, yeah. So you didn't even look at them. I was like, I know I usually make notes and I usually don't use them. And so from then on, I stopped using them and I just go into these cold. I go into them completely cold 10 minutes before I just completely clear my head of everything. I don't have any questions in my head. I don't have any agenda because I want to be a vessel to bring whatever's going to happen to the medium. And it's something that luckily has worked 99.9% .9 of the time. And I have to just trust the process. There's times I've thought to myself, man, this is a big guest. I don't want to fuck this up. Uh, maybe I should have a couple talking points just in case. And uh, I've just looked at it and said, you know what? I, I have to trust this process. This process has gotten me this far. And I have to believe in in my way of doing things. I have to believe that I have what it takes to make this conversation into something meaningful and that uh, I will enjoy it.
because having that what could happen kind of thing keeps it interesting for me and keeps me engaged 100%, 100% engaged all the time. And that's something I can never do elsewhere in my life. So I need that feeling. I need that connection to feel alive. I really do. And it sounds silly, but it's true. Like I just do not have that focus anywhere else in my life than when I'm here with the lights on and I hit enter the room or close the door. That is game time. And that's when I feel the most alive because anything could happen. I could completely fuck it up. I could like really offend somebody. They could hang up. They could start screaming. They could, you know, say this is a waste of fucking time. And maybe they do afterwards, but so far they have not done it on the episode. And I think if that did happen, I would probably leave it in there because that actually would have happened. Um, but here's fingers crossed to another hundred episodes of of good stuff and uh, guests that are pleased to be here that want to come back to listenership like you guys that wants to be here and wants to come back and listen uh, for whatever reason this show does it for you I just uh I'm just and I, I'd say I'm without words but here I go just rambling for 15 fucking minutes um, let's give this thing a shot I'm gonna pull some clips from some of my favorite spots a couple people have sent me uh, their favorite stories and uh, we'll see what we can get this thing to do. Um, but yeah, guys, thank you so much for almost six years of really great content. And I don't see any signs of slowing down. Um, so let's get into it. Here we go. I got two things to say about that. Okay. First of all, I can't think of you without thinking about the Cobalt Cafe. <laughs> and I've told you this before, but man, it's like as plain as day the only thing that's only the only thing that's hazy about this night is i can't remember what the dispute what where it started but all i know is that if anybody asked me is dewey down to throw down <laughs> yes sir you absolutely oh. are because so it was you guys it was fear before the march of flames mm -hmm. And I don't know who this other band was or or what was going on. But after the show in the back alley, something happened mm -hmm. and you took the lead and you were about ready to take down like eight people. I mean, it was <laughs> it was brutal. Do you remember what the what the conflict was? I do. I remember exactly what the conflict was. <laughs> and it happened? was super weird. So. <laughs> Uh, we, the Cobalt Cafe for those listening is a, is a small club and I don't remember what part of California it was. It was LA area, but I don't remember the town. Um, but there's a back alley where you load in and that back alley services a, like another bar and a couple other places. So it's like a little back street, but the way it's set up is you pull in, you unload, you pull out and find parking, you pull back in, load out and leave. So we were. I mean, we've been in Southern California, like, uh, it was hot. Like everyone's stressed out. Like we're just, you know, it was tour. We get out and Nick is in the van sitting in the passenger seat, but the windows are down and we're, we're trying to load out. And this guy pulls up behind us and starts honking his horn and yelling, get the hell out of the way. And we're like, dude, we're, we're loading out. Like you can go around and come in the other side and get to where you need to go if you need to, but we're loading out. <laughs> And right. he starts wailing on the horn. And I don't remember how many people were with him, but like 
he was wailing on the horn. He's like, you move that fucking van. Or I'm going to move it myself. Blah, blah. And I was like, fuck you, dude. Like we're loading out, go around. I turn around to keep going with getting the amps out and stuff. And I hear Nick like, like struggling with the door. The dude came around to the, uh, to the, to the uh, driver's side and tried to reach into the van and grab the keys, turn the van on to move the van. <laughs> I love it. To where I think I grabbed the, I grabbed something. It was a piece of drum hardware or a tire iron from the back of the van and went after this dude. And then that's when all the other dudes got out. It was fucking insane. And I didn't have to actually fight any of them, but I was ready to kill this dude because he was going to steal the van. Necess- I mean, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. You were, you were ready. Up. I was, you mad. were down for the, yes, you were, you were raging. And yeah, I remember there was a lot, it took a lot to sort of hold you back and prevent world war three, but cause it was, it was yeah. getting declining really fast. That clip there was from episode 287 with my buddy, Rich Balling from the RX bandits, from the sound of animals fighting from hospital gown, uh, a great old friend of mine that really <laughs> had some amazing stories from the past. Uh, I figured we'd start with that one because it was it was pretty hilarious. And on this best of series, I'm going to kind of blend the funny and the crazy and the really deep stuff uh, to kind of showcase what the show is. I mean, if you've never heard the show and you're just checking this out, uh, the show goes all over the place. We've had some of the deepest moments of my life on this show, some of the funniest moments of my life, some of the craziest moments of my life. Uh, there's been times in real time I've had to address multiple personalities. Um, there's been tears. There's been tears from laughter. Um, we've had it all. So uh, that was a great episode with Rich Balling, uh, episode 287. And uh Man, what a what a incredible incredible dude, um, and just a, a long time friend. So, speaking of incredible people, uh, this next clip is going to be from the Chino Moreno episode, a part two. It was my five year anniversary episode, and as you guys know, I've talked about on the show before how good of a friend he has become, and just how strange it all happened, uh, how we met each other and came to know each other it's just a really uh interesting interesting story which you've heard of many times uh but episode 243 was uh chino moreno part two and this episode man people ask me you know what my favorite episode is and this one in particular we did it at chino's house and we were in his studio which is just a bedroom in the downstairs and and Man, just sitting there, him and I in this this space in person after COVID, uh, which was strange in itself. I could literally see in my mind that this episode was going to change things for the podcast for several reasons. Uh, one reason was Chino is one of the most popular guests on the show, uh, and his episodes do really well. The second was just how grateful I was that that Chino said, hey, I got you like five-year episodes or five-year anniversary. I got you. Let's do this. Um, not doing any other press around this this record or, or anything. Just a buddy saying, hey, uh, you need my help. Uh, you want to do something. I'm here for you. And I've been able to reciprocate that um, in a lot of ways with him and things that we don't get into on here. But, um, you know, friendship, through this show has been paramount 
uh, with a lot of people. Uh, I keep in touch with most guests that I've had on the show. And it's just because I think if you spend an hour, two hours speaking to somebody, you really get to know them on a level you wouldn't otherwise when you have a list of questions and you're trying to talk about something specific. Um, and I think that attributes itself to um, why so many podcast hosts and guests become long-term friends. Uh, it's happened to a lot of podcasters that I know. It's just this kind of phenomenon where uh, you hop on the line and and give this give this time of yourself and it comes back to you. So uh, this clip is him talking about uh, some cheese stories back in the day, uh, growing up, you know, younger days. And it's just really uh, a great portion of this interview uh, talking about the good old days. And I think that's one thing we all don't realize is the the good you're in the good old days until they're gone. And, uh, you know, we, we threw some ideas back and forth. And uh, as always, you know, I'm always trying to throw out things or thoughts. Um, but uh, Chi was a, a great person and an amazing musician and, and very special to them. So I'll let Chino tell these stories. But uh, here's the uh, best of clip from Chino part two. My parents got divorced when when I was 16 and my dad moved moved out. And, um, and so I was kind of like, I guess the man of the house or whatever you call mm -hmm. it. And, um, mm -hmm. um, the oldest son. So, um, but at the time, like I, I was, we were, the band was started and everything I was, you know, and, and I turned 17 and I would, we'd be rehearse a lot. Um, and I would, after rehearsal, I would just go to cheat. I would hang out with Chi and I would just spend the night at his house all the time. Cause we used to rehearse out kind of by, by where he used to live by the college. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I, and he had a girlfriend at the time he lived with, and she would probably get so tired of me because I'd be there like every night, whatever, just like, you know, they're yeah. trying to hang out, like watch a movie or something. And I'd yeah. be like, Oh, Hey, what are we doing? <laughs> and, uh, and eventually they broke up. And as soon as like, as soon as she moved out, I moved in uh -huh. and it was a one bedroom apartment. So we shared a bedroom like not too bigger than what this room we're in right now. We had, a, you know, a bed on the floor on each side, you know, yeah. two double beds, like on each side of the room and um, piles of clothes everywhere and beer cans everywhere. I mean, it was like, uh -huh. it was a crazy place, but like, yeah, I was 17 years old and he was like my big brother that I live with, you know? So, um, and then when we went on tour, you know, uh, you know, we shared a van together we had a bus, his bunk was right across from my, you know, from me. So mm -hmm. like I, I grew, like I lived with him pretty, like, you know, he was probably the closest person to me all day, every day yeah. since I was seven, 16, 17 years old, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, to imagine like one day he's just not there, you know what I mean? Or, or when I'm on stage, look to my left, he's always right there, Yeah, you know? And he's not there. It's just like, yeah, it's definitely like something that it's like, I don't think you ever really get used to. You can't. Yeah. Nor should you. Yeah. I mean, it, you can't. You, 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 I don't think you can get used to something like that. I think, I think that is in itself is telling you something that you'll never get used to that. Like yeah. that is the void that he, I mean, that we talked about, I talked about this yesterday with, um, um, Jason Gleason from further scenes forever. We, we had this conversation just the, the, there's a book too. I saw that, I had no idea it existed, but I talk about this all the time, but the, it's called the gift of or, uh the gift of grief mm -hmm. is the name of the book. I've not read it, but I always say like, it's the, 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 the hurt and the, the, the emotions you go through in grief are a gift of the person's impact on your life. 
like the the more the more and long the the length of time like it really shows you how much that person meant to you know like it's i I really believe that that it's a gift in a way Mm -hmm. because it really shows you like grabs you by the shirt and says look this is what this person meant to you Mm -hmm. you know it forces you to look at it Mm -hmm. you know just like in therapy when they finally you break through to something and they grab you and are like see what i'm saying like you see this now like and everything, the clarity that comes from that, um, is just a true gift. And and that's another thing with the universe. Maybe that's why you guys were so close that way, you know, like, and spent so much time together because mm-hmm. it was, of course, it's always a, a finite amount of time, but his was cut so short. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a gift right there. You know, like, is there so much to be grateful for there? I would, you know, like the, the, all yeah. those times remembering that room and the, the, you know, sleeping on the floor, you know, mm. like all the crazy shit that went on there, like yeah. keeping him from his girlfriend, you know, yeah. how many times you cock blocked him, you know, for watching probably, yeah. movies. Like those are things that, you know, I'm sure if he was here, he'd be laughing his ass about yeah. now, you know? And ah. yeah, it was, it was, it was actually, I mean, you know, it was one of those when you're young and it was like time of our lives where I, I worked at the college too. He, she was still a student, I think. And the reason mm-hmm. why, he um he kept a couple classes because his dad paid the rent um at the at the apartment as long as he was in school. Yes. Okay. Um so he kept a couple classes at the, you know, at the college, whatever. But <laughs> but uh and then uh, and then we got jobs there, like in the dining commons where the um where the uh like the the dorms, like where they go and eat mm-hmm. the cafeteria, whatever. With the food carts yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So um yeah, and uh so like I worked sometimes I'd work like there was a a lunch shift and then a dinner shift, whatever. So like, you know, I'll just pick up a shift here, whatever, here, there, whatever. And basically my job is either serving on the line or like refilling the the soda machines or there was a soft serve machine that I used to, I used to clean the other night. I used to hate that. But, but, um, but, uh, but it was pretty, uh, and then it was, and also this is funny, a good little tidbit. Um, and then, and then there was the, the, where they, everybody put their trays in the dishwasher place and, and the guitar player for Cake, where he was one of the dishwashers right there too. Um, so yeah, there's a few other musicians stuff we used to work there, but whatever. But it was like you know, the kids who lived in the dorms, whatever. So, um, but we ended up making friends with like a lot of, especially like a lot of the girls, that like, whatever, like in the dorms, whatever. Because mm-hmm. uh, they were they weren't quite dorms. There was a like girls' dorm, I think, the guys' dorm, whatever. We ended up making so like we like we started hanging out with all these girls from the college, and then. Um, and they would come over to our place. And like I said, our place was a mess. Our apartment, yeah. like literally like beer, our whole balcony was filled with like beer cans. Back then we used to drink like cheap beer, like, you know, Meister Brow or like Lucky Lager or whatever. Like it was just like, oh, like just, just cans everywhere, all those little bottles everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, and at that point, my buddy Todd moved in with us too. So he lived in the front room. Todd, he, he plays guitar on Team Sleep. Mm-hmm. He's my mm-hmm. friend since we were in, in high school. And he moved in, he just moved back from LA and he moved, he moved, uh, uh, in the living room. So he lived on the couch and Chi and I shared the bedroom and, um, but our house was so messy. No one cleaned. Like, <laughs> like seriously, like I was just weird. Like we just like, like we were just like, yeah, we were slobs and what we, but the girls would come over sometimes that we'd come home and like open up the door and our apartment would be cleaning. They would like come over and like, they were so cool. And like would bring us groceries and stuff sometimes. Like yeah. we just like, we were so lucky. Like we just met nice people, like yeah. whatever in there, you know what I mean? It made like good friends and, and, um, but it was awesome. And like, like that was the time where I was in the college is right on the river. So like, so like we just, we 
we'd skateboard, you know, back and forth to work during the day, swim. There was like rope swing right by our house. We'd like, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's like, I, I remember most of this being in the summertime. I'm sure it all wasn't, but like my memories of it, it's just like, you know, like one of those summers where it's like, it's just awesome. Yeah. Know? I mean, just like being a kid and being in a band, kind of yeah. having a job, kind of paying rent, not really. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. easy. Yeah. Dude, man, I love that dude. Just uh, some of the most amazing stories uh, that Chino has to share. Uh, I'm sure I'll pull a lot more clips for the best of volume two, three, four, five. I think I'm going to do a lot of these uh, and start pulling clips from every episode. That way I have them because going back through them really brings back a lot of memories. But uh, one of my best memories, though, was Matt Pinfield from 120 Minutes coming on the show. Uh, Getting to talk to someone like that that I watched growing up. Uh, you know, episode 155 with Matt Pinfield. This was a, a, a rad episode, spending that time with someone, you know, who who mastered the interview, mastered the the empathy side, the knowledge side. He he blended everything together in such a cool way. Uh, I was really glad to spend some time with Matt, and I will definitely have him back on. He's just a wealth of knowledge, and literally stories just fall out of this guy. It's really, really something else. Uh, he had just gone through uh, a, the recovery process. He's in a very good spot uh, after his accident and and just really getting back on the road to being healthy and happy. And in this clip, uh, he talks a lot about Maynard from Tool, his relationship with him, and it literally goes all over the place. And I'm going to play the whole thing because – <laughs> you don't want to miss any of this. It's really awesome. And it just shows how Matt's mind works. So uh, let's check out this clip with Matt Pinfield from 120 Minutes telling his story of his friendship with Maynard from Tool. His show lasted two years. So that was about the amount of time that we had to do the podcast. So we did 200 episodes. We did that final one with Maynard, you know, of course. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he and I, you know, our friendship goes back to you know, in my years at MTV, I'll just, I'll never forget him. You know, I was, I was literally, I was going out to, you know, I think it was Lexington, Kentucky. I there, you might remember that video for not a surf's popular. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, Sarah Sebastian, the actress who played the cheerleader chick, her and I were hanging out, you know, we were, so she had invited me twice to Lexington to hang out and meet her family and go down there. And, um, I remember checking my voicemail when I finally got to Lexington. I'll just say it was the craziest story ever. I remember getting on the plane and it was around Thanksgiving time or so. And I was, I think I was flying down there for Thanksgiving and they were literally weighing people in Newark airport to get on the plane. You know what I mean? Because uh-huh. of the winds were so high. And at one point I remember I'm, I'm sitting there in my seat, you know, I've got like a vodka and cranberry and I'm listening you know, to a disc man at that time, it was pre iPods. And I remember uh, listening to like Underworld's Born Slippy. It was probably a train spotting soundtrack or something. And I remember literally the plane went on its side, it went boom. And uh, and literally everything went flying, but I was like hypnotized by the song. So it didn't phase me at all. <laughs> but it was a pretty frightening thing to happen. Anyway, eventually I, I made it my way to Lexington. I checked my voicemail and it's Maynard who I had not met yet, but of course, you know, I played him on the radio and um, he just, he left me this message and he said, Hey Matt, he goes, uh, this is Maynard from that freaky rock band tool. He goes, you know what? <laughs> it's what his exact words were. And he said, 
I, I, you know, I always remember, I, I, I tend to remember these things, you know, like literally verbatim, uh-huh. uh, things that people say to me. I mean, I have, I have a memory for things that I care about, you know, and, but anyway, so he goes, that's what he said. He said, Matt, it's Maynard from that freaky rock band tool. He goes, you know, I really don't like many people on MTV, but I think you and I could do something cool together. And, um, and then like, I think I just got distracted for about a week or two and he called me back and he said, Matt, did you get my last message? It left me another message. <laughs> Finally, he and I met in Los Angeles when I was out there doing something for MTV and we went out for Huevo Rancheros for breakfast and that started years of friendship between me and Maynard. Uh, you know, obviously like doing, I remember when a perfect circle, well, well, I should backtrack a little bit. So we ended up doing tool interviews for Matt Rockin for 120 minutes with me, him and Danny Carey, uh, like sitting on the rocks in Central Park. Um, which was the only time that was the first time they were actually seen on television. So, you know, and it was really also funny that, that MTV at the time didn't want me to say stink fist when I uh, premiered the video. for yeah. Tool. So, so what I did instead was I shook my hand like a fist and then smelled my hand as, as I was saying <laughs> track number one, cause I go, this is track number one. And then I was just doing that. And it was pretty Funny and ridiculous, but at the same time, me kind of sticking my nose up saying, you know, I'm going to I'm going to do this anyway, because my certainly people that were watching 120 minutes knew what the song was called. Oh, hell so, yeah, they do. You know, I mean, there are certain things, you know, like, they, you know, in what, what, what there was an apartment there. It was called uh, Standards and Practices that, you know, sometimes would have record labels edit out certain things that they they didn't want in the videos that they thought were questionable. Um, and that one straight out came the title and, you know, uh, but, but oddly enough, a couple of years later, they let me debut prodigy smack my bitch up, which was, you know, all kinds of stuff going on in there, drug use, you name it. Uh-huh. And, uh, but I had to show it at midnight. That was like the earliest that I could show the video. So it only played, you know, in the beginning of 120 minutes and then was in lunar rotation. Oh my so God. it was like, but anyway, so yeah, Maynard and I, that was really funny. So he was the last interview because I asked him to come on and he was promoting that uh, that first single from the last uh, Perfect Circle record. But he and I have just so many funny, funny, great memories because, you know, we became great friends after that. And there were so many fans of, of Tools at MTV. And because he wasn't in the videos up until that time, he'd come up to visit me in my office and you'd somebody be there with a tool sticker like on their cubicle and he'd come in and... Uh, they didn't even know who he was, of course, <laughs> just, you know? And I think I remember he and I going to the Grammys together. I got like two tickets for the Grammys and he and I went. Um, but, you know, we used to we used to hang out quite a bit when he would come to New York City. And then my, uh, you know, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time who, uh, you know, became my, uh, you know, when I got married a second time, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, her and I are still very, very, very close friends. But, you know, we're not married anymore. But we have a daughter together, my, my youngest daughter. And but anyway, she and I jumped on a tour bus with tool and did a couple of the Lollapalooza dates back then, you know, when, when Maynard had the, uh, you know, the uh, toilet plunger, uh, breast. Yep, <laughs> yes, <remember. laughs> there. So, you know, Maynard's great. He's, he's always, he's always been challenging his audience and he's so funny. You know, I remember there was another time, you know, of course there were so many things we did. I mean, I helped him launch, the first Perfect Circle album when they were opening for Nine Inch Nails and I was there with him and Trent at the first show, which I think might have been in Phoenix, Arizona. So we did a broadcast of that. That was for radio. And then, um, you know, uh, and then I, you know, years, a couple of years later, he didn't want to do any press for the rest of the world. So he wanted to like knock it all out. So I went up to uh, 
his place in Jerome, Arizona, where now he has like a bunch of businesses there. When I was there, before he had started, uh, you know, his his wine company, he literally there were just some migrant workers just starting to plant vines and to, and to you know and to construct them, kind of on the side of the mountain up there. Um, and I remember just uh, you know going up there, and he and I shooting everything we needed for that covers album, Emotive, and uh, it was just really funny because we the hotel that was near there was an old metal hospital. And it was, um, you know, it was a mental hospital and there was, uh, you know, supposedly, you know, some crazy things that happened there. So there was a restaurant connected to it. So me and Maynard, his dad and um, and his manager at the time was managing because the management was separate from Tool and from Perfect Circle. Just to, so things don't get confusing. Mm-hmm. And um, we're having dinner and I go into the hotel and it's this old hotel and the guy behind the desk goes, I see he has a couple of videotapes behind there. And, you know, by this time, everybody had you know, uh, DVDs, but they had a couple old VHS tapes and he goes, would you like to watch one of our uh, VHS tapes of, uh, of unsolved mysteries or sightings uh, or like, you know, like b- about our hotel? Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh yeah, of course. You know, so what was so funny was it was about ghosts in the hotel. And of course I took it upstairs and, and watched it. <laughs> I was going to sleep. You know, I wasn't spooked at all by it. And I remember bringing it back down in the morning. And then the story was that supposedly a guy, you know, like a caretaker, maybe in the 1700s or whatever it was, 1800s, uh, had hung himself. Might have even been in the 1900s. I don't remember the date. But, I mean, the story was that the caretaker had hung himself in the lobby there, which I guess used to be the entrance to the mental hospital. So Maynard, uh, I don't talk to him for a few days. I leave. I leave, I, I drive back to the airport in Phoenix, get on a plane, and uh, a couple days later, I get a voicemail from Maynard going, hey, Matt, I've never heard from you in a couple of days. Uh, what, are you just hanging around the hotel? Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> I mean, he's the funniest, man. He's great. I mean, I love, I love him. We've, we've got this friendship that has lasted years. And uh, What a great storyteller, man. Matt Pinfield is one of the absolute greats. And it was really awesome to get to pick his brain. Just a just an incredible dude. I've really uh, enjoyed collecting all these crazy stories from people. It seems like the collection just keeps growing, you know, all the time. And all walks of life, all walks of life have been on this show. Um, you know, episode two hundred one with Chris Ballou from Presidents of the United States of America. This one was crazy. I had no idea he was doing kids music now. Uh, the band was super successful and still is. And I remember getting that record back in my teenage years and really I didn't get it at first, but then once I got it and realized, you know, what it was and what it was meant to be, uh, I had a huge appreciation for it and just the great quirky songwriting. Um, but the dude has some amazing stories and this story he's going to tell is about him meeting with Madonna, which is the second time that has come up on this show, uh, having a meeting with Madonna to sign. Uh, the first one was with Chino, and this one is absolutely hilarious. Um, it, it just goes right on par with what you would think a story from Chris would entail. And uh, yeah, I'm going to let him tell the story, but there's a few more from him that are going to be on some future episodes of Best Of because he's got some great, great stories. So check out this chat with Chris Ballou talking about uh, meeting with Madonna for the first time.
a business meeting with Madonna that I'll never forget. And dude, <laughs> crazy shit, you know, like, <laughs> tell me so, this, tell me this business meeting with Madonna. This is the second time Madonna business meeting has happened on this podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. the from Deftones told his story of going to Madonna's office and oh, yeah. basically aud- auditioning for her manager, uh, only like playing for her manager alone, like just them. And he's heard one song or whatever. And was like, all right, I've heard enough. Let's make a deal. And Madonna wow. came in, like comes in out of nowhere. And was that Guy, Guy O'Siri or, uh, was it Freddie demand? Freddie demand was running the label. I but think Guy it's Guy O'Siri. I, Guy I'll O'Siri. have to listen back, but, um, yeah. And he was, he was telling all this, the whole story. But um, it's the second time. This is the second time a Madonna meeting. Has, if you don't mind, Ty, I would like to hear it because it, that's <laughs> well, a I've weird told, thing. Yeah, I've told this story before, but it is kind of a it's it's a goodie. Um, so uh, she we got down to two labels mm-hmm. from seven to two, and it was Columbia and Maverick. And so we're trying to figure it out, and we're literally like I remember sitting in a hotel room at the Farmer's Daughter Hotel in on Fairfax in L.A. and just we're just like, what do we do? Do we flip a coin? No, we have to have one more meeting with each and figure it out. Uh, so we had the meeting with Madonna and we were there and she was late. And so we were restless and we went out in the parking lot and we had this little Nerf football that we used to take with us on tour to kind of like later it was Frisbees when we had more room, but Nerf football was enough for <laughs> the early days. And we're tossing it around and an assistant kind of opens the door to the hallway that leads to the offices that also leads to the parking lot and said, she's here. She's ready. Come on in. Everybody goes in, but I'm kind of biding my time. I'm throwing the football up to myself and I kind of get near the door and I think, can I just like toss the football to myself and go through the door and catch it in the hallway? And so I do this kind of like move and then I feel something by my foot and I'm wearing these like thick leather 20s style brakeman boots, right? Mm-hmm. That I had spray painted gold. So they're leather, they're thick leather, and there's something pushing on the boot. And I look down and it's Madonna's dog, her tiny, tiny chihuahua, little <laughs> like ping pong ball headed chihuahua. Yeah. And it's looking up at me and shaking. And I'm looking at it and I start shaking. I'm just like, holy crap, like a quarter inch to the left. And I would have completely crushed this dog. Oh my God. And it's just this generic hallway, like office complex hallway with nothing in it, no art, just blank hallway. Yeah. <laughs> the dog just like leaves and goes around the corner. And I'm just like, Whew. my heart is just like pounding out of my chest. So I go into the office where we're supposed to meet her and she's still not there. And so time's going by and I get a little restless and I kind of go to the shelf where there's all these albums and books and I'm kind of looking through stuff. And she must have come in the room and went, like that or something. Cause there's no sound in the room and there's a tap on my shoulder, another tap on the shoulder <laughs> and a tap, tap, tap. And I turn around and it's Madonna and she's like in my face, <laughs> she's inches from my face. And I go, Oh, you know, like, and uh, so again, my heart's like skipping a beat. So anyway, we start the meeting, everything goes great. You know, um, she totally got us. She got that we were, silly but that there was a lot of craft in what we did and that yeah. we had integrity and now before she showed up guy osiri played us a cassette of the girl that they just signed the canadian artist named alanis morissette oh yes again, her again it could have been schmazzle schmizzle you know like uh-huh. we just signed this this act they're called schmazzle uh and we think they're going to be huge and we listened and we were like yeah that's that's pretty great uh you know it's got energy whatever but you know 
ultimately we decided to go with Columbia and I'm glad we did because if we went with Maverick, we would have been the, like the little stepchild to this other story of, you know, mm -hmm. strong woman, uh, and strong women get together to make strong woman empire. And, and yeah. we're these little white guys like, um, or little men, I guess it doesn't matter the white, but, um, so anyway, all that happened, but we do the meeting and then, uh, to cap it all off, uh, as a great memory, she kind of took me aside a little bit at the end and said, look, it, whether you sign with us or not, just know that you're really good at what you do and you're really good at your craft and you will never get, um, positive feedback from the critics or the establishment for, for you'll never get be acknowledged for that craft. So don't expect it. Just let that be what you do behind the scenes and then, you know, allow what you do to be perceived as less than because it's fun. Mm -hmm. And, uh, she was right. That's amazing. So advice. She, saved, she saved me a lot of, uh, frustration and heartache. Yeah. That's incredible <laughs> advice. Yeah. And you know, it's funny about that is if either way that story worked out, whether you stepped on the dog or not, either way you'd be signing to Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. I like that. I might, have to adopt that. I might have to adopt that as the uh, tagline when I tell yeah. the story. There you go. Either way, face to face yeah. with Madonna. Where's my dog? What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Pure Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online, and splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits, and all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, Synced Lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of, of that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. I'm glad I could chime in there at the end and give them an idea on how to finish that story off. What a ridiculous story. You almost killed Madonna's dog. Uh, and yeah, just it, w- these opportunities that people get are are absolutely insane to me. And, um, you know, it's not lost on me that these stories are collected here and, and that, uh, yeah, I hopefully you guys are enjoying this. This has been fun to put together. Um, it's just kind of, kind of flowing, but, uh, the next clip I wanted to pull was from JD from corn, Jonathan Davis, uh, episode 281. And this was a uh, interesting story because I remember reading, maybe it was Hit Parader or Circus Magazine back in middle school when I first discovered Corn and him talking about being uh, going to mortuary school and doing autopsies. And I'd always wanted to ask for more information on that because he kind of, he didn't gloss over it, but he would not necessarily uh, tell the whole story. He just kind of clips from it. So I kind of wanted to know the actual story. And this interview was done really late at night after a sold out arena show. Uh, so we didn't have a ton of time, but I was, I was telling him, you know, there's so many things I want to ask you, but this is one of them. And he went right into it and gave some pretty 
amazing detail uh kind of told about the dark side of it too what it did to his psyche and and you know how doing autopsies on people can kind of you had to separate yourself a little bit um so i thought this one was interesting uh it's a little on the darker side and uh so if you got children in the car i wouldn't listen to this one but uh i wanted this to be on this best of episode because it's a story i wanted to to have told for a long time and that's one of the the great things about doing this show is being able to, you know, ask the questions you want, um, get the stories you want to know, and because uh, it's your deal. So, anyways, let's get into this one with uh, Jonathan Davis from Corn. That's so wild, dude. I I have so many things. I have so many things I would love to ask him about just because. Uh, I mean, so many years. But there's one thing I heard like a while back. I think he did Steve-O's podcast. And you yes. mentioned I knew you had worked in a in a in a coroner's office, but did yeah. you say you actually performed autopsies? Yeah, like you you did, did it yourself. Yes. Holy shit! Can mm-hmm. you talk about that for a second? That's intense. I mean, it was intense. I did it for high school. There was this thing called ROP, Regional Occupation Program, and I was in the hospital health class, and that was like you know they put you in. You take the class, you learn basic you know, first aid, stuff like that. Yeah. If you're going to the hospital, then you get, you can choose what job you want to do. A lot of people did respiratory therapy or EKG tech, mm-hmm. but no, I mean, they, they said, Oh yeah, we have the coroner's office and my dark ass is like, Oh, okay. I want to go cut up bodies. I think that'll be fun. Um, so at first I was like, cause I loved horror films and all this. I just wanted to check it out. Mm-hmm. So I go and little I know I had to go through three, three interviews and a psych evaluation. <laughs> I was 17 years old. And I got the gig and I'll never forget the first day I saw my first dead body. It was a young person that got killed in a car accident and it, it forever changed my life, man. To me, I, I came face to face with my own mortality Yeah, and it was good, but also bad. Cause after doing that for so long, I, I, I did autopsies on children, babies, you know, a lot of sense. It's just, it's a lot of bad stuff. I shouldn't have been around that early. Mm-hmm. Cause I thought it was cool and all that stuff, but you build up this wall to save yourself. And eventually I left the, the coroner's office and I went to San Francisco and went to mortuary college there and I became a mortician. It's just when you wake up every day and you deal with dying and death and the depression, it really took a toll on me. It made me very, very, it made me very emotionless because you have to do that or you'll go nuts. Um, but at that time, I mean, I loved it. It was a very, very interesting line of work. Um, I learned so much from the pathologist because I was a, a, an assistant. I did most the cutting where the doctor would take the, the, the insides and he would pick whatever specimen he wanted. And they put them in jars and they test them, whatever they do. Um, I would just like most of the grunt work, sewing them up, doing the cutting and doing all that stuff. So, um, but it was at the time I was really into it. And then it was later on that it nipped me in the butt when I started having nightmares and weird stuff going on because yeah, it was kind of scary. It was kind of messed up. And there's nothing as heavy as, you know, doing an autopsy on a five-year-old. It's oh just pretty God. heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of, it was, it was, I was intrigued by it, but there's, I mean, I built up such a wall and such all these, my no emotions around it just to really push away an actual fact of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And I really wanted to do it as a profession. I went to, like I said, I went to mortuary college. I was going to be a bomber and I wanted to work at the coroner's office being a reserve deputy coroner. And I did all that stuff, but I was doing all this to make my father 
happy because he was a musician. He didn't want me to follow in his footsteps and they wanted me to get a real job. And I got through it two years. I did it for three. Well, I did in high school. Then I went to college and then I was doing my apprenticeship for two years. And then I'm like, I can't, I love music mm-hmm. <laughs> to music. So I gave all that up and you know, I had a house, I had a car, I had all the things, I had a career. I could have totally been good, but I decided to just throw it all away, take a job at pizza hut and live underneath some stairs in the guy's house that they were all renting. And I didn't make enough money. I just could rent the actual closet <laughs> and just do what I wanted to do. And that's how I did it. I mean, we did that first demo with Ross mm-hmm. start shopping and all that, all that whole time I was living, you know, I could barely eat. Yeah. And I worked at pizza hut and all my money would go to rent and all that. And you know, it was like everybody does. I mean, we all struggle and that was part of it. That was, that was, but I was happy. I wasn't cutting up bodies and I was making, I was making music and doing stuff that made me happy. I wasn't cutting up bodies and I was making music, which made me happy. What, how many of us can say that with a straight, like a serious face? Like that's something we did. That's so wild to me. Um, guys, that was episode 281 with Jonathan Davis from Corn. Go check it out. Uh, this is one of the highlight episodes of the last hundred. Um, just we've been working on it for so long and it took forever to get it set, which is fine because as I say, I'm glad it happened when it did because we had a ton to talk about. Uh, and I've just learned to be patient with these things, especially when you're dealing with someone with such a busy schedule and being able to fit it in and his team is absolutely amazing. And uh, they always, always help the show out. And I'm really appreciative of that. Um, so shout out to Taryn, uh, just an amazing person who has given the show a chance every time I've ever needed it. And I cannot thank them enough for, for treating us like family. Uh, so thank you to them. This next clip is Aurora Snow, episode 257. And it's Aurora talking about her Howard Stern uh, experience, her Howard Stern appearances. And (laughs) I I still laugh about this, how her dad found out she was a porn star from hearing it on Howard Stern. How fucking crazy is that? Now, this is another one you don't want to listen to with kids in the car, uh, but this clip was just too good. And if you've seen the clips of her on YouTube off Howard Stern, this explains everything behind the scenes, how it came to be, and then how she found out that her dad found out through Howard Stern and the subsequent conversation afterwards where she interviewed her dad to talk about it because they never talked about this experience until she wrote about it for the Daily Beast. So uh, let's jump into this one with Aurora Snow talking about Howard Stern. Yeah. Okay. So I'd actually, the Howard Stern show had approached me for quite a while. Uh, and I turned them down because okay. I did not want to be on his show. I was like, I knew it was just going to be horrible. And yeah. uh, you know, that's what they do. Like yeah. push buttons, yeah. try to like push boundaries, things like that. So I turned it down for a really long time. And, uh, then I was under contract with a particular company and I was one of their, you know, main performers and directors. And so now I had my own company coming to me saying, listen, Howard Stern really wants you on the show. This is going to count as one of your contracted appearances. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Yes, I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, so I went and, um, I just, I, 
I felt I was nervous about it. I had no idea what it was going to be like. I just felt for sure they were going to bulldoze over me and it was going to be awful. But I was like, all right, this is what I had to do. Mm-hmm. It's going to be one appearance and then I'm out. So, um, so I got there and I, you know, thought about my outfit, of course. So I was wearing just like this kind of like tank top, cute, dressy, uh, and jeans. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to come across as anything other than me. And I felt like that represented me the best way. Um, I knew that I was going on because there was a blind guy who had been a fan and the uh, noise that uh, I also, that was what prompted it. But then there was noise that uh, Howard Stern found and sounded like a duck. And that was from a particular movie, uh, a gag factor maybe no less Mm. that scene by the way i had also this director was after me to do this scene and i'd also turned him down a lot because i knew i didn't want to do it i knew i was like there's it's just going to be awful and so i can get talked into things and so this director was just so excited about it he cared so much and that was just kind of his personality and he kept badgering me and finally i was like all right, I will do it with my boyfriend. And my boyfriend at that time was also in the industry. Mm -hmm. So we talked about it. So I did the scene and that's where that noise comes from. And that scene was just me gagging and I was upside down on a table. My head was red. I was basically just rivers of my own saliva running into my eyes because I was upside down and making this gagging. Oh yeah. It was the kind of thing that like, I knew why I was turning it down. I kept turning it down. Yeah. But then I finally got talked into it and I was like, well, I guess if I'm doing it with my boyfriend at the time, there's a lot of trust there. So I'll yeah. do one of those types of extreme things because I trust him. Mm-hmm. So we did. never, ever would have thought that would be a scene that went on to <laughs> land, right? <laughs> with 12, Howard Bird 20 show million or- people watching. Yeah. Yes. I mean, not that. I mean, there are some scenes you could pick out and say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That one. Yeah. No, yeah. no. <laughs> but here we are. So. So, yeah. So the sound. So Howard Stern would play this like sound. It sounded like a duck and you would put it in all these different like, you know, mashups, which was hilarious. Yeah. Um, you know, that was I thought that was actually pretty funny. And I was I laughing really out loud that. when I saw that. Yeah. That was absolutely I mean, hilarious. But I was just like, God, yeah. they're going to dig in oh, here. Oh. And they did. Right. So, I mean, so I, I knew those things and I was like, well, see how it goes. And, uh, I got up really, really early. I got to the studio and that was apparently unusual. And Howard said that is like, you know, most porn stars come show up late. Mm-hmm. They're not on time. They went out partying all night. So maybe they haven't slept He goes, but you're sober and you're on time. And that was like the first big surprise, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, how else would I show up? Um, I just, uh, I sat in the green room for a while and I remember one of his staff brings in this like bikini and he's like, here, we'd really like you to wear this. And I was like, you know what? I bet you're right. I bet that bikini would look so much better on me than what I'm wearing. But I'm more comfortable when I'm wearing. So thank you. But I don't disagree. That would look better, but I'm not wearing it. <laughs> and they didn't fight okay. you on it. They just said, all right. They pushed. Okay. They pushing. They pushed. I stood my ground. Yeah. And that's all like, that's the stuff you don't see. Right. So that's me sitting in a green room and they were like nice about it. They weren't 
bullies, but they were just, you know, a little pushy about it. Yeah. And I, there was no way I was wearing that bikini. I knew I was already nervous and I was like, no, that's just going to like make how I feel times <laughs> 10. No. <laughs> so I did not put on the bikini and I was really nice about it. And uh, so then we finally get out there and I just remember Howard Stern was like really pushing the daddy issues. He's like, ah, oh, come on, you got daddy issues. I'm like, no, I don't. I still don't think that I have daddy issues. And I didn't get into my background mm-hmm. with him the way that I've gotten into it with you. But, um, and I think a lot of those things too, I didn't talk as much about my family too, while I was in the business and things like that. I kept that very close. Sure. So, I mean, now I talk about those things a whole lot more, but it was interesting. He was, he tried, like he was, he, he had an agenda that he was trying to push, you know, there must be daddy issues there because why else do you do it? And then of course they kept pushing, you know, they were trying to get me in a tickle chair, trying to get me naked. It was all the usual stuff. And, um, I felt like I handled it pretty well. I mean, I just, I've always been, was really nice about it. I was like, no, that doesn't sound fun. I'm not going to do that. No. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, it was, but it was fine. I mean, it wasn't, it, it was actually a positive experience. Um, and the blind guy, he was really cool. He was very nice. He was, he was so he was nice. Blind. Yeah. He, he was, was just laughing. Nice. Oh, of course. Yeah. No. All right. Yeah. Look, it's such he a was, good attitude. Yeah. He was really nice. And then afterwards, after the show ended, Howard came up and shook my hand and was really polite and nice. So, I mean, I got a really good sense of him from that show. And then later I went on the show a second time and that time I didn't turn them down a lot. I just said, yeah, okay, I'll go back. Um, and that was for something where there was like a group of other, um, adult stars there. Um, most of whom I got naked, uh, most of whom got naked. I did not again. I have never bet. Like I didn't see that my job was to get naked on set. My job was not to get naked doing interviews. Yeah, exactly. And that was just kind of how I saw it. So, and I have, I've always been incredibly grateful that I, I didn't cave to that because, um, Howard Stern is actually how my dad found out that I was in the business. Oh shit. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. The, the blind guy one. Um, I don't, you know what? My dad and I never really talked about like which one because it was so weird. 20 million people and my father. (laughs) Yeah. And it was later, it came out later. And I was like, you know, when I heard that, I was like, I, I was so glad. I was like, Oh my God, what if I had like, what if I had caved? What if I'd gotten naked? I'm so glad I didn't. So So, glad. So your dad, like he heard, he watched it or heard it. (sighs) I think he must, I mean, he must've watched it then somehow, which, because otherwise, I mean, unless my dad really knows my voice or maybe he heard it and then, but yeah. there was, we again, we didn't have, my dad told me that he, I think maybe he saw, you know, my dad also has lots of like friends. So, but yeah, my dad, that's how he discovered it. He found out oh. I was on Howard Stern and that's oh. how he found out I was doing what I was doing. So yeah, was- that was interesting um yeah and it's so i my dad and i never really had a a conversation about that until way later i mean he told me he said you know i i still love you 
Um, I'm proud of you for living your own life and making your own choices and not letting, not letting other people tell you how to live your life based on how they view things. Mm -hmm. And so that was his approach. You know, I, I love that you are being independent and making your own choices and it's your life. You only get one. So Mm -hmm. you live your life the best way you know how. And, and I was like, okay. So that was kind of like, that's his approach to it, but we never really had that conversation. Um, and it was something I couldn't even bring myself to do until a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, I thought I should interview my dad and put it out there for the daily beast. So I did. You did that. I'm going to have to pull that up. That's insane. Yeah. I think, I think the title of the article might be like my daughter, the porn star. <laughs> So I did a Q and a with my dad and I told him, I was like, dad, we never had this conversation and uh, I'd like to write about it. <laughs> oh my God. What an incredible story. Aurora Snow, uh, one of my favorite guests of the last 300 episodes. She is so gracious with her time and her stories are incredible. And that was almost a two hour episode and we're definitely going to do another one, but she's one of the people I reached out to a long time ago. We're talking years ago and it took years to finally come around. And, you know, she had said yes back then, but then things just get busy. Things get lost. Uh, emails get lost, whatever, to where you just, you know, lose track and come back years later. And again, I'm so glad it happened when it did because uh, she was in a great spot and we just dove way deep into her story which is fascinating um that whole world to me is fascinating um how people get into it how people get out of it what they get from it and everyone is tied to it in some way or another um it just decides so many things you know what technology our our um society adopts whether it be going from vhs to dvd instead of betamax to uh hd all that stuff like it's all based on the porn industry which is crazy and that's kind of what spawned uh movie rentals at home being able to rent movies and bring them home so you didn't have to go to the theater to watch those um it's it it affects all of us and uh she's just an amazing person so thank you to aurora for coming on the show and and uh being so great um now a lot of these stories are you know wild and crazy or funny and and this one is not uh this clip is from anthony green episode 193 it's his second appearance on the show and anthony's been a good friend for a long time but he has struggled uh, a lot with addiction and i don't like to showcase i guess that's not the right word i I, i'm not showcasing this story uh for anything other than this is one of the most uh real and and interesting conversations uh, Anthony and I had ever had and we were throwing some ideas back and forth on what these things could have been that he heard uh, as he was ODing on fentanyl and it's just a uh, an incredibly vulnerable situation uh, but I think the overall just of this conversation led to some creative ideas and moving forward versus focusing on the negative and the sad uh, but like I say, this this podcast goes everywhere. It really does. There's no boundaries on what we talk about, where we go, and I never know going into it what's going to happen. And this is one of those situations you can hear in my voice, uh, some of the hurt of of hearing my friend go through some of these situations. And uh, shit gets real, man. And that's just what it does. 
So uh, I'm going to let Anthony tell this story, and then you'll hear us throw some ideas back and forth on what it could be. Um, but let's hear it in Anthony's words. Yeah. I'm trying to work out at home. And then, you know, uh, I was doing heroin for a little while. So mm -hmm. I, was like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I stopped doing the CrossFit <laughs> as much when the heroin got really strong. It's not a sweet combo, CrossFit and heroin. I was going to ask that. You said you've done shows on heroin, but have you done it? Have you gone to a CrossFit class high? I'm sure. Not yeah. to make it comical or anything, but like, it, no, uh, that's fucking this, crazy that you could even I'm do sure. a show. I can remember one day being really getting high the night before. And then the next day, like going into CrossFit because it was like part of my normal routine. And I, I like wanted to, but I was also like still really feeling it, but also like I got into the workout and I was doing it. And, um, and I remember thinking like, Oh shit, I'm going to die. Like my heart is going to explode. Jesus. And then I remember thinking like, dude, I'm going to fucking die. Like I'm like, I'm just, I, I think I was like, 125 pounds or something. And I wasn't really eating properly. And I was, I had, I had fallen out a couple of times where I'd OD'd, but like either I was found in the morning or I was like played it off or I wasn't Narcan. So it was like, I didn't know what had happened. You know, I'm honestly, I'm lucky. I don't, I'm lucky that I don't have irreparable brain damage or the brain damage that I do have is fun. I'm functioning on it or whatever it is. Um, and I'm lucky to be alive. I, I literally was dead, like no pulse and then was resuscitated. And, uh, it was fucking crazy. It's crazy. That's fucking insane. Do you have memories from those moments? Like, do you remember what you, it's the first thing you remember, like opening your eyes, where the fuck I am I? I remember, I remember thinking like, I remember smoking. Cause you were, you weren't shooting, hair. you were smoking. Fentanyl. It was smoking. Yeah. Okay. I never, uh, I didn't get super into shooting. It was yeah. too inconvenient. Yeah. And, um, uh, I, I was, I remember being, I was in the bathroom and I remember being like, whoa, that was a lot. And that was like the last thought that I had. And then I remember hearing kids like I can't like try to explain the state that I was in because I couldn't. It was like a, mm -hmm. a dream state that you you use words that, uh, that to describe it that don't work to describe it because it's something else. But I could remember hearing kids voices, crying kids laughing kids just like all like if it was a thousand tracks of kids like every sound my kids I ever made my whole life was happening in my head and then I saw EMTs and that was it wow yeah that's in that's incredibly intense that and that they is... were like asking me questions and I was like oh shit what just happened what like and I didn't realize I had to put it together and I didn't really even realize the the kids voices thing until way later you know it could have been just synapses firing my brain or, uh, you know, as my body was shutting down or it could have been the people in the room or whatever, but my, I can remember hearing like what sounded like every sound my kid had ever kids have ever made, like all playing overlapping with each other. How do you, I've never heard that described that way before. I've never heard, but that brings up so many things in my head. Like the, the kids, the kids yeah, I making gone, fun I of you. I would have gone to California. I would have gone to California to play those salesman shows and never come home. My boys would have never seen me again. But think, think of this. So, like the the kids making fun of you as a child, your own inner voice, your children, screaming crowds that sound yeah. maybe like you know, 
maybe yeah. well Fuck. could that have been the That's thing crazy. that was the most special to you like or maybe the most impact you you have your inner voice which is maybe still as a child uh, I know mine is sometimes from a childish view because it's the only thing in yeah. my head that I have that's mine that no one knows about. Yeah. So I view it as a child, but then your kids, screaming audiences, uh, you know, kids, kids in school, all that combined Damn. into like your as your Crazy. mind was shutting down, it was releasing all of those. Yeah. Things. It was like all a of that horror. hurt, all of that joy, the hurt, yeah. joy. You don't have any of that when you're gone. So maybe it was releasing that. Yeah. You know, or those it demons was, or angels, you know, coming you out. Ever of hear, you. Like there's this thing in Christian or Catholic mythology where they're like, if you hear the voice of God, it fucking kills you, explodes you into a thousand people. Like maybe that was like the God roar, you know, like all of the, the things like all at once. Um, yeah. Since it was undecipherable voices, like it was just, yeah. like you said, like layered tracks. Yeah. Dude, have you, okay, this is, and and this is not to trivialize this in the least because I appreciate you sharing this with me because this is really helping me in my own mind hearing these things. Like I I find this extremely a, a special thing. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. But you know how you play in the studio? What, have you ever thought of trying to recreate that, what you heard? And put it behind a piece of music, like layering wow. all these different voices just and now, tracks. Just now that you said that, I was like, now we have to do that. How special would that be? And be no cool. one would ever really even know, but you would know that yeah. song or that piece of music. Maybe if you if even wrote it about that experience, uh, if yeah. you haven't already. There's actually fuck, a dude. new Circa idea um, that is like an idea that I had been working on or that the band wrote instrumentally that I wrote the lyrics and sang the melody for. And it was like a thing where the, like, I actually don't even know if anybody will hear it because like half of the band I think is like, uh, thinks that uh, the lyrics are slightly too visceral for them mm -hmm. about that experience. And so, uh, it's possible that we might, I, you know, we're working, we're working on it, but, mm -hmm. uh, it, to me, uh, it's really, uh, an honest and vulnerable moment. And I think it would be so cool to try to make that happen. God damn. I am glad that Anthony is still here with us. Um, he's been on the show again since this appearance. And we talked a little bit differently about things, how uh, he's tired of having to say, you know, we're glad he's still here, but I really, really am. Um, and I'm glad he's on the road to recovery. So I wish him all the best. And I know you guys love having him on the show. So we'll have him on as much as he wants to come on. He's been on three times and, uh, that's nowhere near the end. I'm sure he's putting out new music left and right. The LS Dunes record is coming out. Um, his solo record came out, um, just a lot of stuff, super prolific guy. And, uh, I wish him all the love and the best in the world. Uh, the next clip is from the one and only Tom DeLong from Blink-182 and Angels and Airwaves. Tom was another one that took years to make happen, and it took some friends connecting the dots and vouching for the show to make it happen and get it scheduled. And it was really cool because Tom took the interview from his truck at the beach where he tends to do a lot of interviews. So we talked about all kinds of shit. We talked about aliens. We talked about plumbing. We talked about Ozzy. We talked about Sting. We talked about all kinds of stories. And this one in particular, 
was really awesome talking about Ian from Fugazi and no effects and all the different times Tom has met Ian and the things he tries to put in his mind uh, to make him stand out. And that reminds me of another one. I'll probably take a clip from later in another, uh, another best of series, my buddy Aaron edge talking about all the times he's met Ian or come in contact with him and just the weird stuff that comes out of it. And, uh, you know, as you guys know, we had Ian McKay on very early in this show, episode like 36 or something like that. And uh, here is, here's Tom and I throwing some ideas around on what to uh, what to throw at Ian for the next time. But this was episode 240 with uh, Tom DeLong. And uh, let's let him tell that story. I okay, talked. Ian McKay was on and we talked about porn the whole time. Hey, you can't fuck around on this. Don't show. be throwing out like fucking names like that without us digging into it. I was on the biggest Fugazi dive literally yesterday, just going deep. Really? And uh, and it's just funny that you brought that up. Do you know that I went to Ian, uh, he went to Coachella, and I saw him at like the big hotel out there. Mm-hmm. And I haven't met him before. I was like, hey, dude, I'm Tom, and I'm from Blink, and, and like, I just want to meet him. He's like, oh, hey, whatever. He's like super nice. We talk. And, um, and I said, hey, I got something for you. This is just an idea, and I will guarantee you no one's throwing this at you before. So just take your time to digest it, but I'm going to throw it at you. And he goes, okay, what is it? I said, Fugazi, but with like giant lights and pyro and lasers. And I'm all, I know, I know at first fucking uh, you, you hear it and it doesn't make much sense to you. I'm all, but fuck, have you seen ACDC or Metallica? Like when they do like something important with the music and boom, all the lights and shit. I'm imagine that shit on in on the kill taker, or like fucking merchandise or repeater, like any of that mm-hmm. cool shit. Like imagine the, their dynamics was everything. When they came out, like we were like a punk band could be like fucking good, like musicians and like clever, a punk band can get quiet and then really loud. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was thinking about, could you imagine that? If with a fucking dope light show, but obviously he laughed out loud and he goes, I have never heard anyone say that to me before, ever before. I said, I know, I know <laughs> that's where I live. I live in that realm. Dude, tell <laughs> him you've got two letters already. You can rent him from that fuck sign that lights up. You can literally start the Fugazi with that and just make the rest. Yeah. And honestly, you know, what's funny. If Blink was smart, we would have literally not spelled fuck. We would have just had Fugazi. <laughs> just said, that's who we are. <laughs> yeah, well, that line. well you, that's what you could have said. Well, you want to see it and show them the YouTube video of that fucking back in the day. Fugazi. God damn it. That would be really funny. That actually would be something like no effects would do. Like yeah. No effects. Like I remember like we were with them um, at some festival, punk rock festival in Europe or somewhere. And, you know, all the bands, and I'm sure yours did too, like we all get these giant banners that are like fucking 40 by 30 feet tall. And it's like your name and you're like, ah, you know, Slipknot or fucking whatever the fuck you put on your banner. Um, They lowered one that was literally 18 inches by 18 inches with ropes. And it goes, and it lowers down over sand and uh, Smelly's head. And and it's just a black and a white hand shaking hands. like it was just that and said no effects <laughs> it was the funniest <laughs> fucking thing i've ever seen in my life i it's just brilliant it's just fucking brilliant like it just makes you just i remember when i saw them it was no effects the offspring on the good record ignition you know like when they were first starting mm-hmm. when when like 
before the other stuff that was questionable. But the fucking um, it was um, no effects, offspring, and then face to face. And I was 16, and I'm sitting in the show in San Diego. And there's about 1,500 punk rock kids and fucking mohawks and shit, and like tearing the place apart. And the jokes and the fucking speed and the energy and the casual nature of it. I remember my smile being ear to ear and I go, Oh my God, I have found my people. You know, I was already into punk and I was already freaking the fuck out. But when I saw it and experienced it as a 16 year old kid, I cannot tell you the impact it had on me. And, 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 Cause I was like, you can, I, I remember I was like, you can fucking like say dick jokes and shit and that be yourself up there. And like, if you fuck, cause they were fucking up, they would fuck up the song and stop it. The song. And just like, who the fuck, who did that? You did that. I didn't fucking do that. No, he did that. He fucked up the song, you know? And I remember that moment going, they're just being them. They weren't like putting on this facade to be cool rock stars or something. And I go, this is literally like all my friends where Blink came from, all skateboarders and shit. Like, I was like, this is literally like, they are us. I can't believe us are important. <laughs> That's what it felt like. It felt like my friends in the culture we created actually was happening in other places. And, um, and the, that, I don't know. It's just, I just thought of that when, when we talked about no effects. Now that episode was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it just went everywhere and the stories were just flowing like crazy. Uh, I had a blast on that one with Tom DeLong. Uh, there's a ton more on there. So go check out that episode. If you haven't already, I'm sure you probably have since it's in the top 10 consistently every month uh, for all time top episodes of the show, along with uh, Chino and Fat Mike and, and just so much. And, and I will tell you, Fat Mike is not on this best of episode yet. There's so much to dig through on that one. That'll definitely be on the next one. Uh, but this next one is absolutely awesome. This story of uh, a venue uh, bouncing incident with John Pettibone from Himza and Eris. Uh, an old friend of mine, he's worked the door at El Corazon and security at El Corazon in Seattle for so long. And he's worked at every, I think, every all-ages venue in Seattle in the last, I don't know, 25 years. He's been there working in some capacity, and this was one of his best stories that we finished the podcast up with of him going after uh, this situation, and uh, it was episode 219, so definitely go back and listen to 219 because there's so many stories from John. He's such a good storyteller, uh, but this one was epic. I just had to pull this one for this episode um, because he just tells it so well. You can feel like you were there. And uh, it's just awesome. So uh, let's get into this one with John Pettibone talking about this bouncing incident on episode 219. You could imagine everything. I like, I, yeah, the stories, the gnarly stories, the funny stories, there is just chapters upon chapters <laughs> of stuff like that. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with one of my favorite ones. Please. There. Uh, I can't remember what band was playing. I was working the front door, uh, do, uh, taking money and, and my, uh, my guy pet doing pat downs at the front His tour manager comes down and it wasn't very packed 40, 50 people. Maybe His tour manager comes down and she's like, she was at the merch table and she's just like, there's these two older guys that are at my merch table flipping over everything. And one of the guys just spit on me. And I'm like, and I instantly know what it is. Cause she said, older gentlemen, well, not gentlemen, older guys. 
And, I was, and when they walked in, I was like, these guys are kind of old for coming to this type of show. It was kind of a younger crowd. So uh, I grab our head of security's clay and um, I walk up to the stairs and I'm like, hey, is there a problem? And they're like, no, is there a problem with you? And I'm like, there is now. And so I grab one guy and I start taking him down the stairs. Uh, the, the, you, you know, you've been to the club, so you know yeah. that corner place where they, the main bands do the merch. Mm-hmm. There's a little stairway and then you go to the right to get out the door. So he's putting up a little fight, but I, I've got him and whatnot and I get him out. So once that happens, two of our other guards see there's a situation, they come running. So I'm coming back up to get the next guy who's actually older than the first guy I just took out. So I'm going, you're next. And by then he's yelling at the the tour manager and I'm like, nope, you're going too. And this gentleman, or I keep saying gentleman, this guy was probably in his late fifties, early sixties. And I grab his arms, Dewey, and he is rock solid. And I, in my head, I'm like, fuck, this guy's going to be tough to get out. I grab him and I keep him close so he can't turn and swing on me. Yeah. And I just wrap up his, his jacket and I go, start taking him to the stairs and he's not really budget. And I just finally have to just kick his ankle and get him and basically have to like fall with him down the stairs. I, we get him, everyone gets him up. And as we're, go, we're, we're getting him out the door and then I see one of my front door guys come running in to snatch the guy. And as I'm passing the guy off, he just shoves my guy out of the way. And I've already let go of this guy. Oh, this dude turns around and is at me. And we're in that, that little doorway where the podium is uh-huh. it's lit like crazy. He turns to me and just has that face. And I'm like, all right, I'm knuckled up, but it's just me and him. Cause all of my guys are behind me, all shoulder to shoulder stuck in the doorway and so I'm just like, here we go. And I just kind of bend down, put my chin down, just ready. And the guy reaches over because I had a hoodie on and he goes to hockey hood me uh-huh. and pulls that. And I know what he's doing. An instant kicked in and he grabbed it to pull. And I just put my arms out and let him pull the sweatshirt off of me. Shirt. I am shirtless oh, and I'm not a shirtless guy. I'm not a shirtless guy. I don't like taking my shirt off in public at the pool, nothing. Everything goes with him. So his momentum is going backwards with my clothes in his hand. And I just pull up and I get him with such a good punch and it does nothing. This guy <laughs> is just like, come on, motherfucker. And I'm like, shit. So my door guy is behind him pulling him. I, we finally, I just run and just start pushing him out the door. We get him. He goes to the right and, Dude, there is me and three other dudes teeing off on this guy because now I'm I'm in rage. I'm in, I'm seeing red and I'm just everything face face ribs ribs with three other of my dudes doing th- and this guy's fighting back and I'm like he's either high on something mm-hmm. or just fucking loves this shit and he's going 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 and I got tired. I just pulled off. I'm like I can't punch him anymore. And the guy's just laughing and bleeding. 
and still fighting. And I just grabbed my guys like, no, we're done. He's outside. Fuck this guy. And he goes around the cars and he's just like, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And I'm just like, in my head, I'm like, oh God, this guy's connected and he's going to come back. And he's going to shoot up the club and all this stuff. So, uh, that night we just, we had one guy inside and four dudes outside and we just waited, just waited for, for some car to roll up to see what would happen. And we pulled all of our cars in to maneuver. So, you know, he couldn't see a straight way into the doorway and whatnot. It was crazy. And the funniest part is, uh, the first guy I tossed out, he paid at the bar with a card. So I had his name. So about three months later, this guy walks in and I recognize him and I'm like, I think that's that guy. And so I go and get his name and I check, check the, uh, advanced ticket names and his name's on there. And I just go, are we going to have a problem tonight? And he goes, no, no problem with me. I'm not even friends with that guy anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It was crazy. That's insane. It was crazy. I've never four on one. And this guy, it didn't even face him. I mean, he was bloody, nose busted up, everything, but he was just like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to get to you guys. But yeah, never came back. I don't know what happened. And I knock on wood, hoping he never comes. Yeah. Rocky (laughs) Balboa, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll join Sam. I am. (laughs) Yes. He's their new drummer. (laughs) Their new drummer, tour manager, whatever. And you're working every fucking show. Yep. Yep. Come on. Doing the, uh, the reunion route. Oh, dude. Remember that fucker to El Corso? God, jeez. That is the best story I've heard in a long time, John. Thanks. That is very true. That is one of the best stories I've heard in a very long time. And second only to this story, which is coming up next. And that was John Pettibone from Himza and Eris. This next story is from Lars Fredrickson from Rancid. One of my all-time guitar heroes, songwriting heroes. This guy has stories for days. If you listen to him on any podcast, you're going to get some insane stories from Lars. And uh, he's just a, a a true hero. And this one is totally fucked up. So I will tell you this. Do not listen to this one with kids in the car. You may not even want to listen to this one. It is fucked up uh, in a way where I, I audibly think I said, what the fuck in a complete shock when he told me this story uh he was 11 years old when this took place keep that in mind when you hear this uh but this was episode 100 this was my first real milestone episode uh with one of my heroes and it's weird to think this was 200 episodes ago uh just about and all the people have been on since and this is still one of the most insane stories i have ever heard so i'm gonna let lars tell this one uh, but like I said, uh, no kids in the car, and uh, there is kind of gruesome, and there's some animal stuff in there. Uh, so if you don't want to hear that stuff, definitely switch the dial. Um, but this is the uh, this is the clip, Lars Fredrickson from episode 100. You said you went to I Juvenile don't... Hall at 11. Yeah. Was that yeah, for so fighting? I... Oh well, it was for a few things. Um, basically. Um... Me and this guy, Mike Newman, um, who's now dead, he died a few years after this. Um, he and I, we had like these girls we knew in San Jose and we took the bus there, cut school, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was led to believe that they were going to be there. They weren't, so we broke into the house. So there's rule break number oh, one. Shit. So, and I had a little some PCP, mm-hmm. and um, so we started smoking some dust, and then we went into the refrigerator and started drinking all the beer. And so I still had a little bit of PCP, so there was rule break number two, right? <sighs> so um, this is, you know, obviously, you know, after the cops come, right? Yeah. So, so there was a little dog barking at me. I remember I had a pack of tidal wave chewing gum and it just had come out. It was like the, the gum with the liquid center. Uh-huh. You know, it was uh-huh. <laughs> all the fucking rage. And I, it was green apple, if I remember correctly. So... In, in true fashion, you know, because I don't do anything half-assed, I put the whole pack of gum in my mouth because the dog was barking and barking, barking. And that was a bad trip, man. When you're on PCP, number one, like you don't want anything, you know, it's just a bad trip. So I chewed up the whole pack of gum and I wrapped the dog in chewing gum. <laughs> so I got cruelty to animals. Oh, my gosh. And it happened to be like the show-winning dog, too. Oh. Like, right? Yeah. So, and then as the day went on, Mike started trying to get physical with me and he was a bigger guy. And so I took his eyeball out with a piece of the racing, you know, the racing track. I, I pinned him down and I took his eyeball out of his skull. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah I know. Um, I just, I just, I went for his eyeball. I wanted to break it. You were high out of your fucking mind at 11 high years out old. Of my fucking mind. Yeah. Holy so when, fucking shit. Yeah. So when, so I ended up like leaving, I, I somehow got home and about four thirty in the evening, there was a call at the house and my mom had to drive me over to um, the house that we broke in and Mike was there and there was an ambulance and he had a big old patch over his eye uh-huh. and um, they threw us in the, in the back of the car and they took us to juvie and I got busted for breaking and entering um, I think it was mayhem, which is the, the malicious act. Yeah. Holy fuck. Uh, cruelty to animals and possession, um, of, uh, this, uh, controlled, uh, PCP. Or not yeah, controlled yeah. substance, yeah. but like, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, it was pretty gnarly. Did he lose the eye? No, no, no. They popped it back in. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> popped I guess it I back in before there. they took him to juvie. Yeah, I left it. I left it in there. I remember going to get a knife to stab him. And because um, oh he was getting really gnarly with me. Yeah, like I told him. I remember I remember telling him, stop, dude, stop. You're it's hurts. It hurts. And then I just reacted, you know? Yeah. And I, but I was a smaller guy than him. He was a pretty big dude, you know? Configuratively, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, and he was like 13 and I was 11, so um, yeah, it was pretty gnarly, man. It was, it, and, but he ended up dying, um, him and uh, Felix Stereo and um, one other kid who survived, and and uh, they got hit by a drunk driver. They were spending the night at this place called Bonnie Dunes in Santa Cruz, and I was actually supposed to go with them. And, uh, I didn't go for some reason. And, um, the next morning we heard that they got killed. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, th- th- you know, there's a lot of that shit in my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I remember, uh, I'll keep his name out of it, but cause I don't want to give him any credit. And I think he ended up dying anyways, but, uh, it being in my back alley and with my friend, John and, uh, 
one of the sort of the enemies I had pulled a gun in my face and pulled the trigger and the gun didn't go off. And, uh, John grabbing the gun out of the guy's hand and throwing it in the garbage can. And as it hit the garbage can, the gun went off. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Just like little shit like that, you know, some stuff like that happened, you know? So I don't really like to talk about it too much just because it's just, it's just kind of, you know, for me, it's, it's, uh, I don't even know why I fucking just told you, but whatever. I guess I comfortable. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just did that. It was it was just it was crazy. Yeah. You know, All right, guys, that sums up this very first inaugural episode of the best of peer pleasure. Um, ten clips, uh, ten clips out of tens of thousands of clips that could have been chosen. And so what I would like from you guys, if you enjoyed this, I would love to put more of these out and I definitely will. But if you have a favorite story from one of the episodes, send it my way and I'll start making a folder and I'll start pulling these as I'm in the studio working. And that way I can put it together a lot easier in the end. But if you send me the episode and the story you're talking about, I'll more than likely remember it. But that way I can actually get things together and we can make something really, really cool happen. So um, I would I would love to get any feedback on this you guys have. Uh, if you enjoyed it, if you hated it, uh, want to change something. I know a lot of these clips are from different eras of the show and different gear. So the audio does fluctuate a bit. The quality fluctuates a lot. You can hear towards the later episodes, the quality is a lot better. I used to record these in my car. I used to record these in my van. I've recorded some at my union hall. I've recorded some in a bathroom. I've recorded some in a park. Um, it's that DIY and and it's just uh, something that I will continue to do. Now I'm in a studio, but things still get in the way. Things still mess things up. Audio files get corrupted, all that kind of stuff. So the big thing I wanted to accomplish here was just to showcase a big snapshot of the show for people that have never heard it before maybe those that came in late and haven't gone back through the episodes or you're here for the first time and you want some episodes to listen to um so that last clip was lars Fredrickson from rancid episode 100 he will definitely be on for another episode as well uh, a lot of these guests will be repeat guests which i love doing because the ice is already broken and you can continue on uh as friends so Thank you guys so much for sticking around for 300 episodes. Um, I just, I don't have, I don't have the right words to describe it. It's all feeling. And I'm just glad you're here. I love each and every one of you very much. Uh, And here's to another 100, 150, 300, whatever. Here's to another thousand episodes. We'll see. Um, Who knows what the world will bring. And uh, as long as people keep coming on and you guys keep listening, I'll keep doing this. So uh, cheers to you guys. And uh, as always, we'll see you on the radio.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.